No, not really. It's offensive, sir. Offensive. It's just much like my southern accent. Just like my my father's name is Roberto, and there's a Francisco and a Miguel, right? Mm-hmm. Their next name were Butch and Chip, and there was a Skippy there too. Well, good. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have no response to that. If I'm being perfectly honest with you, James, just I don't share know an where anecdote. That was going, but no, uh, just it was an anecdote. So I wanted to share something with you hmm. since I had brought it up previously. Yes. I, uh, you ever have those times in your life where something happens and it, it feels good, but you know, long-term it may be dangerous? Why, yes. Because I felt a very, very strong case of vindication earlier this week, and I feel it may be bad for my psyche. Do tell. I, uh, I finished season two of Yellow Jackets. You, 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 what? I sure did, James. And season two, I... Hated every minute of it. <laughs> hated it to its core. Wow. So you hate watched it. Uh, yes, because I had started it and I decided I'm going to finish it because I liked season one well enough. Mm-hmm. And with hating season two, I felt a real strong case for my anti-television program stance. Yes, yes. That real strong case of vindication that now I should discard this entire platform of art (laughs) because I had a preconceived notion and one particular show Mm. really reinforced that belief. Now, what else was I right about? (laughs) What else? uh... Well, see, I don't have that same... The last actual, like, T... Or, like, uh platform thing was American Gods. And I thought they did a fucking phenomenal job on that. So I was like down for the next one, but see, here's my problems though. Anybody who's watched yellow jackets who wants to engage me online about this, feel free to, because my honest opinion, season one was pretty good. As, as I said, when I had finished it, I liked it a lot. I mm-hmm. watched it all in like a day and a half. Watched Damn. it real quickly. Liked it a lot. There were parts of it that I, you know, eh, not my personal taste, but Whatever. Yeah. It, it wasn't me writing the story. It's fine. Now, the problem with season two is, you know how all stories are effectively just lies? Yeah. It's like being told a story by a bad liar. Mm-hmm. Where all of the, uh, what should be interesting parts are really, really rushed through because, uh, oh, fuck. I don't, I don't know. We just had this good idea. But then all the, like, boring parts... You can really delve into, and now, well, then this happened, and then this, and then this, and then this. It it feels like a story at this point, mm-hmm. and it really has put me off to wanting to watch a season three when it arrives. And like I said, that that feeling of vindication of just well, you turn something I like into crap. You know uh, what? Now I don't have to watch TV anymore. Hell no, movies, movies, movies. Like I said, man, it it just has that feeling of like, all right, for example. That, like, there are a couple male characters in the show who basically were not characters, like, in this entire season. Well, then why have them? Kill them. Do something. Do something with them. And they introduced new characters because there are two timelines. Wait, it sounds like they introduced characters and they're not using characters that are extant. Yes. And there are two timelines. One is in the 90s when they are stranded in this wilderness, and one is current day, showing, you know what they're doing as adults. Right. They introduce new characters to the past timeline, to the nineties timeline. Say what now? Exactly. The fuck? And it's very irritating. Did they write themselves into a corner? And again, they had these two male characters who are just suspiciously absent during very important parts of the story. And they're again, they're trapped in the wilderness. You would be accounting for every single person that you have in your party. And there are just at times where like suspiciously like, some characters are just not involved in these decision-making processes mm-hmm. where they were not in the first season. Like it was a coherent story, whether there were parts that I liked or not, it was a coherent story. Right. And in this, it just kind of feels like, ah, fuck. Well, we don't know what to do with this thing that we introduced. <laughs> it's like, well, oh, let's just ignore it. <laughs> holy shit. We got a second season. Let's start writing for the third, just in case. Fuck. We got to write for now. God damn it. Yeah. It, it and does. we just laid, we let go half of our staff. It feels like Hell House 2, mm-hmm. well, the television it, show. Well, what I've learned, what a lot of these people, a lot of these things do is they'll hire writers to get it started, right? And then fire all of them. 
and do staff writers because they're in-house and cheaper. And, you know, they've already got the intellectual property, so they're screwing. That's what they were striking for. So that wouldn't happen as often or as blatantly, at least. It used to be like, okay, we're in for, you know, 12 episodes. If it makes it a series, we're in for 12 episodes because they're going to fire us. Yeah, and there were things in the first season like, well, I don't particularly like how that wrapped up or how that story went, but whatever. It's look pastable. Right. In this, just there are parts where it's gotten comical, but not like, okay, you know, just like a little joke to relieve tension here and there. Like, there are entire storylines that are supposed to be funny-ish. Eh. It's, oh, my God, I fucking hate it so Have they had much. a very special episode yet? I, I don't know. I don't care. I think I'm done with it. <laughs> so, yeah, I feel very vindicated in my dislike for TV at this point. Hmm. Yep. Yep. That, that's what I had. Thank you for sharing. You're welcome, James. Mm-hmm. Speaking of bullshit no one cares about, hey, everybody, welcome to Horror Vomit, where we talk about horror movies so you don't have to. I Ooh. ran out of breath. My name is Chris Pfaff. I'm one of your hosts. And I am James Marino. I'm the other one of your hosts. Enough. I sucked the life out of this <laughs> by bitching about a TV show. Time to move on to, I, I think we should do a, a triple, but our second in our line of uh, Peter Cushing appreciation, mm-hmm. which I... Would like to make a small announcement here, James. Hmm. I do feel awful that we did this during February. We said nothing about Black History Month. That is our fault. We don't pay attention to things. And the mm-hmm. fact that we dedicated portion of Black History Month to a withered, very white British actor, our bad. Hmm. <laughs> I just wanted to acknowledge that because I felt awful about it today when I realized what we were doing. And I think we probably missed Hispanic Heritage Month, too. We sure did. So, we, we miss everything, to indeed. be perfectly honest. But it, it just felt like the opposite of what we should do for Black History Month, and I felt bad about it. But we're moving on with our appreciation of Peter Cushing with 1973's The Satanic Rites of Dracula, or Count Dracula and His Vampire Bride, mm-hmm. whichever you prefer. Uh, written by Dan Houghton, directed by Alan Gibson, starring Michael Coles as Inspector Murray, the Peter Cushing as Professor Van Helsing, and Christopher Lee as Count Dracula. Mm-hmm. So, James, <sighs> yes. since the dawn of man, mm-hmm. we've looked toward the stars and wondered to ourselves... Hey, James, Yeah. what did you think of the Satanic Rites of Dracula? Oh, my God. You know, I was gushing last week about how I was so excited that you got to get your entree into Sherlock Holmes with that fabulous movie, The Hound of the Bastardsvilles, made by the same people that made this movie, which is mid at best. Yeah. Because what we're looking at now is we, we we saw what made Hammer Hammer. And what killed Hammer, because this is about a 22, 23-year period where that was a real big, you know, they were, they were a powerhouse. Right about when this movie came out is when they were just, what else we got? Let's fart something else out. Let's fart, who else we got? Let's throw something else up. So this is uh, the seventh and final of mm-hmm. the Christopher Lee Draculas, and I don't blame him. You could tell he was done. He left due to them straying very, very far from the source material. Mm-hmm. They couldn't so, get James, much further. I, I wanted to start with something. Yes. Because I wanted to set this up in, in a way that would uh, reveal itself through a brief synopsis. Mm. So I believe one of two things happened here. One, they had a movie already written and then went, ah, fuck. We got one more left of uh, Chris Lee's contract. Yep. Can we shoehorn Dracula into this somehow? Mm-hmm. That's option one. And I think that's the more boring option. What I hope in my heart of hearts is that somebody set out to write a Dracula story and came up with this. Mm. Because to give a brief synopsis oh, to everyone involved, <laughs> the plot of this film, it, it neither, uh, neither title really makes sense. Mm-mm. Well, technically there were seven Dracula broads downstairs. But the point of this film is that Count Dracula has hired a scientist to make a supersonic version of the bubonic plague 
to wipe out humanity. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Mm-hmm. And I really hope that somebody, I really hope they didn't have a story about a corporation hiring a doctor to make a plague and just shove a Dracula into it. Cause that sounds boring. I really hope there was a mind that thought Dracula, fuck, we've done that. We've done that. We've done that. I don't know. What if he wants to start a plague? No, not a vampire plague. Like the plague. Well, this is why I texted you. I was like, did we just watch a giallo? Because think about it. At that time, Andromeda Strain came out. It was a plague that was wiping out the earth, and scientists had to find it on a desert island. There was a fucking giant mainframe computer and a goddamn Dracula movie. Yeah. Okay? So I thought, and then it was kind of like almost like um, the old Michael Caine spy movies. You know, it was a little bit of that. There was a little bit of, you know, there's a little bit of everything that was popular at the time was in this movie and Dracula. (laughs) And Dracula. So who shows up at around the 30 to 40 minute mark. Which is hilarious because for about 20 minutes of the film, neither Cushing or Lee is in it. No. For 20, 25 minutes, neither of them are in this film. No. Um, but you know, bless their hearts. I mean, you knew, you knew Christopher Lee was over, but he was, damn, was he given it? Yes. He was given it. So here's my biggest observation about this. Yeah. This isn't a bad movie. No. This is a pretty good film. Mm-hmm. This is a dog shit exercise in writing. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. And like it's what I said, it, it hit all the giallo spots because there was a police involvement. There was a mystery. There were boobs. There was blood there was you know a couple crazy deaths there was, you know it was all over the fucking map um in in mood setting tones um it had everything but that little wry humor it didn't have a lot of there was not a lot of humor in this film no either intentional or unintentional there weren't you didn't have that we didn't well there's have, one that i really want to talk about oh, later oh yeah but i'm, I'm just saying it, it didn't have most hammer films at the time the good ones Took the themes that we, we saw, you know, lightly touched, the lesbianism, that type of thing, and they fucking lean into it. They lean into the blood. They lean into the psychosexual aspects. They lean into all of those things, which made them, especially at the time, very, very interesting movies. This was not that, and it was funny because I was thinking about how different your experience is. This is your first Hammer Hammer, you know, for real. You may have seen one before, but this is the first time you ever sat down and watched a Hammer film besides oh. The Hound of the Baskervilles. Well, n- not true, mm. necessarily, because, again, I've watched a lot, a good amount of the Christopher Lee Draculas, from, mm. you know, just Count Dracula to the horrors of Dracula. But you weren't really but, paying attention to movies at the time, were you? Oh, this is pretty oh. recently. Oh, okay. <laughs> but those are my only, like, real Hammer experience. And this being the last one, it is far different than a lot of them. Except for it's uh, the one that came right before it, the Dracula AD 72. Well, see, and, and this is what threw me because I told you I was kicking myself because we were talking about Peter Cushing last week. And I said, oh, I only remember him from this, this, and this. I'm a fucking Doctor Who nerd. I've been to conventions. <laughs> I saw this movie with Peter Cushing in it, and I completely forgot about it. And then I thought about it. There was a time where I was watching... <clears throat> Sci-fi from an era, it's like that late 60s, early 70s. They had the quarter mass experiment or the quarter main or a quarter mass experiment, all that stuff. The adventure people, I, <clears throat> Doctor Who, Monty Python, all that stuff. I was because PBS and I lived, ate and breathed that. And I just remember all the actors that I saw were just part of my childhood. It was like a, it was like the like I, the joke is there's only like 30 working actors in Britain. Yeah. We, we saw all of them. I mean, I'm a huge, um, absolutely fabulous fan, and that was Joanna fucking Lumley. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah. That's, <laughs> the, the weirdest thing about this movie is it's not poorly made. No. And that's what s- strikes me is that, yeah, Christopher Lee's bringing it. Peter mm-hmm. Cushing's great in this movie. I mean, even the side characters are pretty good and delivering and there are good camera moves there's interesting stuff that happens in here if you can discount the absolute dog shit story around it well we take a look at the idea of a studio and there's a lot of negatives to studio things and and the idea of a studio production because it's become this 
big, huge thing that's more than it should be, whatever. It's always been huge, but you know what I mean. Yes. Um, but this is a studio-produced film. Now, the studio is on its way out. It's waning. It can barely pay its production staff. It's you know laid off three-quarters of the world, but it's still a studio. And it's still something that they care about. They have the experts there to make a film from shitty writing. Yeah. They can make, uh, they could take something that I wrote tomorrow and at least make a passable, presentable film because it is a studio and they're fucking pros. Yeah. Because, I mean, one of the things that I noticed right away, yeah, there's motorcycle stunts. Oh, like, God, yeah. The, and the camera moves. The camera actually moves, and the director is doing what a director is supposed to do and saying, yeah, at this point, we need it to zoom all the way down this hallway into this guy. We need it to swing this way. We need it to, while a man's looking through binoculars, we're going to have a camera shot through his arms mm -hmm. on to the other approaching detective. It's good filmmaking instincts. And, and at the time, if you think about it, um, except for like Batman on TV, you know... A, a vampire's henchman could look like anything, but in this movie, they all had the, they all had the vests and yeah, the like helmets. the buckskin vests. Yeah. yeah. So you automatically knew when you saw a buckskin vest, it was fucking on. Yeah, that's immediately just film grammar. Like, yeah, introducing yeah. immediately. We're not sure who the bad guys are, but these people are connected with this weird satanic mass that's happening. Mm -hmm. For what reason? I couldn't tell you. It's mm -hmm. never made clear why they're doing these. And we know we were watching a, a vampire movie, obviously. It's called Count fucking Dracula. But if I was, like, flipping channels at late night and I had never seen this movie before, I'd have no fucking idea it was about a vampire. No. Seeing satanic rituals and shit. I'm like, ooh, this could be anything. Maybe uh -huh. it's witches. Maybe it's Satan. Maybe it's demons. Oh, no, it's a vampire. And, what? And the introducing, the, again, really good filmmaking when they're figuring out who is in this house because they had an informant. You know, it's all these heads of state, very rich people, mm -hmm. very connected people, and showing them their pictures come up on the slide and then them at the ritual. Again, it's good filmmaking. And then the whole Denim Institute thing where they're tying it together. That's why I pulled it like a giallo. They're making discoveries. They're finding clues. They're getting to the bottom of things. And in the meantime, crazy shit's happening in the background. And Peter Cushing is chain smoking. Well... And remember when I, we were talking about it last week with um, how he was very, he did a lot of business, right? Yes. But th I guess that's a natural acting style for him, but there's a marked difference between how he um, did his business and brought a teacup as Holmes and as the character Van Helsing. There's a very studied difference. So it was, it was interesting. So I guess he's just an actor that knows how to use hands naturally. Because a lot of people start thinking about their hands and getting their own fucking head. Yeah, because at no point, again, in this movie, just furthering my love of Peter Cushing, is he hamming it up or mm -hmm. underperforming? He is dead on in every single scene that he is in. Yeah, and he serves the scene. He doesn't upstage. He doesn't do business just to do business. Everything he does lends to, like, his Van Helsing character was a very, like, I have one mission and one mission only, and that's to fuck up vampires. Yeah, I'm a very learned man, and I will help you with this investigation. He's because... a doting grandfather. Exactly. You know, and but all this comes across, but his main focus and never wavered, and his body language never wavered on his face. At all times, his mission was to kill this fucking vampire. He'd already done it, and by God, it was his duty to make sure it never came up again. No, and my family has been doing this for generations. <laughs> mm -hmm. Never question it. And, and again, that stoicism was very different from the, the everybody's going to listen to me, because not because I'm smart, but you, you need to listen to this because this is really important. That's the Holmes thing, right? But him is like, no, there's a fucking vampire, and this is what we got to do, and I made mm -hmm. this, and we're going to go do this. And I was very worried. It's like toward the end of this film, there was a lot of old man fights. <laughs> I was yeah. so worried. I was so worried about Peter Cushing because they kind of like not throw him into a chair, but he he takes a, a pretty hard fall for an elderly man. He, I mean, he sails about a couple of feet and lands on a table. I mean, he did some work. And uh -huh. it wasn't a cutaway. It wasn't like a cutaway <laughs> Errol Flynn Flies and all of a sudden, schlub dude lands on the table and it's back to Errol Flynn. It's none of that. He fucking hit that table. Uh huh. 
But um, I think uh, the thing is, Peter Cushing's always been a thin, thin, slight person. He's probably wiry. He'd probably do backflips for all the fuck we know. Yeah, maybe. He could have been, been in a circus when he was an Ute. I just, I thought it very funny that there, like his introductory scene, he is, shows up on screen immediately smoking. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know if there is a cut between him putting one out and then lighting another one immediately. There isn't a cut. I, I think we watch him chain smoke on screen. The entire film. The fact that the man lived as long as he did is a testament to his... His Britishness. Mm-hmm. He's like, fuck Dan. His absolute refusal to succumb to it. Oh, sorry, death, not today. <laughs> I, okay, so here's why I don't fault uh, Christopher Lee whatsoever for ducking out mm. as uh, Count Dracula. Here's the biggest problem, as mm. I see it. That bad wig? No, uh, yes and no. But they made the character of Dracula kind of a buffoon. I know he was a doofus. <laughs> that is exactly what I thought. In almost those exact same words, because I said it aloud to Kayla. Like, why did they make Count Dracula like a dingbat? He's immediately fooled by everything. And, and traditionally, Mr. Lee radiates menace when he's smiling and having a good time and a cocktail with his friends. Mm-hmm. You're just mildly worried that he's going to stab you in the neck. And in this movie, who's supposed to be biting you in the fucking neck, you're just like, he's yeah. got fang. Yeah, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only time that I've ever felt like I could take Dracula. Yeah, forgetting that he's like six foot 12. Yeah. <laughs> and was in the SAS. But, but Dracula in this film seems to have forgotten just everything about being a vampire. It's like you're running through the woods. Can't you turn into a bat fucker? Come on. Yeah. It's like you've got sonar, you doofus. Come on. Or just, okay. So the first time that Cushing and Lee are in the same scene <laughs> together, it's just Dracula sitting behind a desk. Yes, with the light on so you can only see his outline. Exactly. It's because probably Christopher Lee just did ADR because <laughs> he didn't want to be in so, the fucking movie. <laughs> so Peter Cushing, he, he, uh, in the scene previous, he's melting down a cross, makes one silver bullet, brings a Bible with him because he, he puts ar- it in the tiniest gun yes. you've ever seen in your life. It's like the single shot Derringer. It's it, ridiculous. But it's a baby Derringer. It's like something you would look like a gam came out of a gambler's sleeve on a ru- <laughs> on a rig. <laughs> yes, he he's got the gun of a riverboat gambler. He sure I, does. I, I think I think that if you had a a small book in your breast pocket, it probably wouldn't penetrate like six pages. Yes. It was cute. So the way that he f- figures out that it's Count Dracula is he just clearly knocks these books off of the table, hides a Bible amidst them, mm-hmm. and then tr- tries to like slide them across the table to Dracula. And this dipshit just absentmindedly just reaches out and just puts his hand on a Bible and goes, Ah! <laughs> you knucklehead. You stupid asshole. I was like, my kids are smarter than that, buddy. Yeah, to which he just like, I knew you were Count Dracula. And then, like, yeah, it's just Christopher Lee in the scene because they light him up again. Because silver bullets and vampires? Well, I, I think that will work, technically speaking, because vampire and silver. But yeah, whatever. They take a few liberties with vampire lore mm-hmm. here. But uh, yeah, that, that's how he figures out that he's Dracula. Yep. The old, the old Bible test. James, can I tell you my absolute favorite part of this movie? I, I would not be able to sleep if you didn't. And it is the part that made me howl with laughter. So after this, uh, Dracula's goons grab Peter Cushing, and they have uh, his granddaughter on the altar. Dracula's doing his satanic rites to make her his everlasting concubine Mm -hmm. in the wastelands. And Van Helsing stands up and says, Count Dracula, you introduced this plague and it will kill every living human on Earth Mm -hmm. rapidly. You will have nothing to feed on. It will be your death as well. It is your suicide, Count Dracula. Mm Mm-hmm. To which there's a long pause of Dracula staring at him confusedly. 
completely ignores what Van Helsing just says. And says I have four bringers of death. <laughs> it's like, guys, and this writing is awful. And all four of these heads of state and all these powerful prime ministers and whatnot are like, wait a sec, wait, wait, what? Wait, wait, we're going to be we're the who? No, 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 wait, you promised us. And I'd like to remind you, James, there were three of them. Seconds ago, Dracula says, I had four bringers of the apocalypse. Now you, Van Helsing, are one of the four. What? Huh? He would be number five, first of all. Yeah. And yeah, and then all these guys. <laughs> but, but master, we did as you asked. Like, you just made a deal with Dracula, you dipshit. The fuck? And, and like, I'm like, you guys are confused. Yeah, what are you talking okay, about? Okay, now and they've got this fucking plague virus and a cork stopper. Yeah. F- cork is porous. It's so dumb. And I'm sure the seal is real tight on that piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, the one guy holding it, it gets all freaked out and worried, to which he, Dracula just makes it explode into his hand. I, I I thought he made his hand break it, you know. Either way, yeah, it yeah. doesn't matter. This thing explodes, and it's the an accelerated version of the bubonic plague, which right. means within minutes your body is experiencing horrific pain, but it will keep you alive for two to three days enough to suffer agonizingly. And you're watching the guy's got the big giant gross in his skins peeling off, and. You, and uh-huh. like that's immediately. I love it when he went to go touch Holmes, and he was just like, or not Holmes, sorry, Cushing, and he's just like, uh, no, yeah, I don't think so. Just took a, a ginger step, gingerly step back. Just Peter Cushing just grossed out by this man. He's <laughs> it's, it's like somebody a plate of Duke. No, I'll pass. Thank you. It's the best. He, he's gonna die if he touches him. He's just merely just kind of scooching out of the way slightly. Oh dear. But again. So there is a, uh, this is in the basement of this gigantic manor that they've been investigating for the entire film. Oh, this is again, what I love this mansion because when you looked inside, it was a big old English mansion and I couldn't tell you what era cause I'm not that guy, but you walk in there and it's brightly lit. It's got a big white staircase. It's not like you'd think, you know, traditionally you think in these movies, it's going to be dark. I like the idea that they did that. And then that you, they did that and you could look out, there's one room the red room that they were in with the uh, altar and stuff. Yes. And then you look out and you see that 4A with that big giant light overhead. And that juxtaposition was just jarring. So anything that happened in there, it was like a break from supernatural to science fiction. Science fiction's upstairs, supernatural's downstairs. And in the middle of this giant bright foyer. And it's also very funny because if that is where indeed Count Dracula decided to set up his uh, satanic, altar and what have you maybe you might want to do it where you can't see it from the front door yeah dracula a, you fucking idiot it's like a foyer and then like where you'd think the living room or the dining room would be there's yeah. a giant altar with a Just big a old giant satanic altar. pentagram in the center with a giant goat head on it and bright red and And every time never once is the door shut for privacy nope they just left their satan door open Heck yeah. It's the stupidest thing in the world that I love it. Oh, you know, like I said, because I've seen a lot of the other Hammer films, I mean, good, bad, and different. This one, um, a lot of them tried to be be transgressive for the times. This didn't. This didn't push. Like I said, it was kind of mid. But for a movie, if I just took it objectively as a movie with not comparing to other Hammer films, it's a decent movie. And it's kind of fun in the ways that we've described. Yeah, but because I have the knowledge of other Hammer films and the other things that they've done, I'm like, eh, okay. I wish you could have gotten a better introduction, like your first one that's not a Dracula. Boom, I, you know, it's like a quarter mess. It might not hit you the way it hit me, but it was fucking badass. So, but where I was going with all of this is, <laughs> so the uh, the other inspector is fighting one of the buckskin bad guys upstairs after oh god after the whole sniper ordeal oh, forgot about the snipers yeah yep there's snipers in this vampire movie mm-hmm. 
But uh, he throws one of the henchmen into the supercomputer, which causes a humongous explosion Mm -hmm. and allows Peter Cushing to gingerly just hop out of this window. Uh Again, it was one of those things that, like, I understand why Christopher Lee was done with this shit. Like, okay, you turned Dracula into just a walking joke Mm -hmm. who can't take 80-year-old Van Helsing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is stupid and I'm finished. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, yep, they take a uh, few real, real good liberties with vampire lore as well because they lay it all out that Peter Cushing explains that, you know, silver, they can't, you know, come into contact with silver. Uh, with the hawthorn bushes, can't, can't touch those. Uh, running water, mm-hmm. can't have running water because it represents purity. Yep. And, and here's the deal. For absolutely no explained reason, there are seven chained vampire women yep. in coffins in the basement. Zero explanation given. And it's not even one of those ones where you you know how like a lot of times we don't like things spelled out for us? Yeah. So we can fill it. There wasn't even a hint to fill it in. Nah. There's just happened to be seven women barely enclosed. And yeah. never was Dracula in that basement with them. But. It set up the scene for my favorite part of the movie, or the second favorite part. One is the, the, the old boy turned on the sprinklers. Yes, that is where I was going with they took a lot of liberties with vampire lore. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, it was beautiful. I'm, I'm pretty sure overhead sprinklers do not constitute the purity of running water. I could be wrong, yes. but that's a, that seems like a very easy way to vampire-proof every single building. Oh, yeah. Is this, does this building have a, a sprinkler system? Yeah, we're good. Yeah, we're going to be just fine. Then. See a vampire, push the button. She was barely paying attention, but Kayla was like, oh, well, yeah, holy water. They just blessed the lines of the water. Like, nope, nope, mm. none of that happened whatsoever. Yeah, they nope. used that as running water. She's like, <laughs> oh, well, that's bullshit then. Like, yep, yeah, absolutely. But this is why, like, I mentioned the, uh, like Michael Caine spy movies, but like, you know, in like Flint and all of those, the, the, um, the idea of the silencer was a huge deal back in the seventies. We all know they, it's a suppressor. It quiets it, but not, not like in the movies where it just goes pew, pew. Yep. But it was a huge, huge deal in all the movies. So obviously they had to have a sniper scene so they could show somebody with a silencer. Uh huh. It's like any trope that they could find. They put in this movie, and I loved it for that. I loved it for that. Again, there's some real interesting stuff. Like, immediately when this guy is escaping from this gigantic manor, and there's sirens going off during this satanic mass, and we see, effectively, like, the releasing of the hounds, which is these uh, buckskin-vested men on motorbikes. And they... Man's escaping toward the gate. They shoot one off a motorcycle, which oh. blasts down the gate, which immediately, like, fuck, yeah, we're starting this with stunts. Mm-hmm. Shit, yeah. The other guy who comes up on the motorcycle gets shot right in the fucking mouth. Right. <laughs> and it's, like, it made me, it's not even viscerally graphic. It's that they didn't decide to go with, you know, in the head, right. just in the forehead or in the chest. Bullet hole. And blood spatter right in the fucking mouth. And and on top of that, they it, I, I okay they obviously drew attention to it because we saw it right. But in another movie, it would be telegraphed, 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 boom, and then they would hold on that shot and they would make it a big deal. No, that it was something that happened that just happened to be caught in the camera, it, just beautiful way. Uh huh. And that's again the art of the filmmaking. Okay, yeah, that's good directing because. Like I said, they could have just done, oh, he was shot in the chest, you know, whatever bullet wound. The instinct to go, no, you know what? You know what's a little more unsettling? Have it be right in his fucking mouth. Yeah. It reminded me of when we were talking about no one gets out alive. Mm-hmm. How there's that scene where they're like beating a man and then a tooth rolls under the door. Oh, yeah. How it's something simple and effective, but just putting a little bit of thought into something Ooh. makes it so much better. I just got the chills from that. I forgot about that until uh-huh. just now. Oh, because yeah. It, it immediately reminded me of that. Of like, you know what? They didn't have to do that. Mm-hmm. They didn't have to. I understand that a man was shot. But not only just shot in the face, shot in the fucking mouth. And it, I don't know why, but something with just knowing that before death, 
Split seconds before that, it was breaking his teeth out of his fucking face. Ugh. Well, see, and this is a, this is really interesting for me because um, you saw Hammer when it was putting out film films, Hound of the Baskervilles. They were putting out like you know these really you know in color you know film films because this is when the studio is really kicking yeah. off, right? Count Dracula. I mean, yeah. m- minus the Klaus Kinski of it all, huh. it's a good movie, right? But prior to um, prior to them, you know, okay, they didn't. They're not making that money. They went to a smaller studio. They had different funding. Blah blah blah. They started making more. Uh, I won't it, say grindhouse, but already grindhouse movies. Because this was a time where American horror films were taking mm-hmm. a majority of the market share, and Hammer had its time, and it was not really through a ton of fault of their own it they were just naturally fizzling out which well, means things got cheaper and- well what had happened for a while is like um in the early 60s um a bunch of the studios and i forgot it was ap studio or something kind of funded them to come over here and were putting out their movies out with their movies and they were kind of pushing hammer with them you know so that they could you know trade talent or whatever that's why there were a lot of American actors in Hammer films because if they were going to push their movies, they're going to put an actor in the film so, you know, they can co... Yeah. And so that was happening. And then then as they started not making as much money, they said, okay, we're done with this partnership. Have at it back in England. And that's, again, when we started getting the real cool ones because they still had the studio ideals. But they had to push. That's when I'm, you know, and they're getting kind of the transgressive, the amount of blood, the way the blood looked, um, the nudity, the, you know, the the themes on top of on top of vampirism, the themes on top of all these things. Um, it, I I can't wait for you to see some of the non Dracula Hammer films from this the middle part of their studio days. Right, because I mean, <clears throat> by this point, is again I. Filmed in 72, early, or late 72, early 73. Didn't release till 78. Oh, God, yeah. And you know why? And, well, at the time, what I'm saying is that with American films taking the preference, by that time, like, The Exorcist was coming out. Right. Oh, the yeah. The Omen had already been out. Like, And this American, was antiquated comparatively, too. Exactly. And that's why it's just kind of the natural life cycle of, well, they were fizzling out and still trying their best to put forward a quality product. But when the resources just aren't there, you get this. Well, and and think about how you you weren't around. Never mind. And I think 77, 78, right in there, um, there was a big Dracula. There was a Dracula musical on Broadway, and it was huge. Or, or I don't know if it was a musical, but it was a Dracula Broadway production. And it was a huge deal. I mean, it was on all the TV all the time, you know. And so I think that maybe they put it out just to kind of go with that little bit of vampire craze that came out of it. Because then right after that, you get movies like The Hunger, um, that the vampire movie with uh, Grace Jones. You know, all, all those, there was a, a whole spate of vampire movies in the early 80s. Right. And I think it was probably stuck out there, you know, to kind of go with that craze. Because, I mean... Again, the filmmaking in this is so good, mm-hmm. and you can tell. Obviously, the film quality is shit. Oh my it god, is just absolute dog shit. I, I'm sure whatever we saw was a shitty, shitty fucking cut because it looked it was a fuzzy reprint at best. Oh yeah, because I mean, immediately the scenes are just washed out in like the yellowy orange, and it gets a little better. But I mean, even the lighting because mm-hmm. there's that scene with uh, Cushing and a uh, couple of the inspectors where they're just covered in a blue light yeah and it wasn't didn't look intentional no like it looks bad mm-hmm. it looks real bad but again the filmmaking of it like how the camera moves all the shots they were trying still i wonder what this movie i wonder if this movie would have hit me different if i'd had a real clean cut of it i i was wondering that myself but i again i'm not the type of person that really lets that stand in the way of my enjoyment because i really like you know, how the camera moves, what they did with the, being able to film, the zooms that they did, the performances from everyone, for mm-hmm. the most part, are pretty goddamn good. The story is just awful. And I. <laughs> yeah, but I think for me, um, because of my limitations, how my brain works, 
if I could have seen this really crisp, I probably would have been more invested because then, because there's a lot of visual things in here. If we had had the color correction, if we had had the, you know, if it would have been in focus at yeah. any point, yep, I think this would have been, uh, I would, my, my estimation would have just been from mid to damn, this is a pretty good movie. The writing could have been better, but I enjoyed the fuck out of it instead of, it was all right. You know, it's, if it's on, I'll watch it, I guess. It's the visual equivalent of listening to a vinyl record that mm-hmm. you got out of a bargain bin. Yeah. And you know, it's the third pressing. Yeah. And it's made by KTEL. Uh huh. Yeah. And it was owned by somebody who did not take care of their records. Yep. 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 Oh, so... I mean, all in all, again, I don't think it's a bad movie. I just think that they were out of ideas. And, again, what I think happened is that they wrote a film and subsequently just shoehorned Dracula into it. But I Mm. really want to think that somebody's mind went through everything that they had done previously and then went, ah, fuck it, what if he's just trying to make a plague? But And, and again, I, I think that if this would have been released when it was made... The estimation, and this would have been more of a culty film because it touched on everything that was in movies at the time. You know, from like say 1970 to 75, you get all these weird little science fictiony, like Logan's Runny kind of. You know, that's with the white helmets and. Except for Logan's Run is a good movie. Right, but I'm saying it touches <laughs> that on Ice Robot. Fucking gets me every time. Right? But it touches on that, the Ipcrest file. It touches on all these Andromeda Strain. It touches on all these weird little movies that came out right around that time. And had that come out, it would have been like you know one of those you know those uh, shitty comedy movies where I know what you did last summer on Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah, it's it kind of touches on everything that's happening at the time. So had that movie come out when those movies were out, I think it would have been more in our lexicon. It would have been more of a classic Hammer film as opposed to a afterthought. But then again, I, to, just to push back on that a little bit, when you're ending your Dracula film mm-hmm. with Peter Cushing running through the woods and effectively like having to get Dracula's attention. Yeah. <laughs> there is a long well, scenes of him just standing in the woods yelling, Count Dracula! Well, and I was expecting after the third time to just hear, Hey, asshole, I'm <laughs> over here! The whole time during that scene, I was like, Marco, Polo. It is! Marco, Polo. It's, yeah, it's Van Helsing and Dracula playing Marco Polo, and then Dracula gets caught up in the... Okay. Fucking Hawthorne my, my second favorite part, because I had read this lore, but I'd never seen it really portrayed, and I'd never heard it described the Hawthorne was the same crown as the crown of... And I'd never really heard... I'd heard of Hawthorne slowing vampires. Right. Because they can't get through it. It actually hurts them as opposed to anything else. But I didn't realize the reason why, and I'd never seen it portrayed. So when he was trying to fight through the Hawthorne bush... That was badass to me. I was like, oh. Yeah, it looks fine. It is pretty cool. The lead up to it is absolutely ridiculous, though, because, again, it's a game of Marco Polo mm-hmm. to where it feels like Van Helsing's getting irritated that Dracula can't fucking find him. And this is where I was like, remember when I was talking about how much of a doofus this fucking Dracula was? Uh-huh. I'm like, okay, it is canon that Dracula can turn into a fucking bat. What, does, what do bats have? Sonar. Uh Uh-huh. Can't find Van Helsing. The flying fuck is going on with this goddamn movie. Or this age-old fucking vampire Mm -hmm. wouldn't look at this bush for a minute and be like, nah, I should go around this real quick. Yeah, because it's a bush. It's not like a Hawthorne um, maze. It's It's not the fucking tree from the evil dead. It doesn't (laughs) reach out to get him. He wanders into it like a fucking dipshit. Because he's a doofus. But I will tell you what. I Up until the last two movies, I'd never seen Christopher Lee be anything but a menacing, just slightly a charming but scary individual. Uh-huh. Last two movies, he was a doofus and a nebbish. Yeah. It's, it's very funny. Convincingly a doofus and a nebbish. And yeah, his teeth are his prosthetic teeth in this and that's part of what makes when i was telling you about when 
Van Helsing stands up and gives him this entire speech about how if you do this, Dracula, this will also be the death of you. And he's standing there with like a confused look on his face with his hillbilly looking teeth all dipshit. He looking and just goes, anyway, I have four. It, it made me laugh out loud because it looks like delivering. It, it looks like Dracula looking at him would have just said like, I'm sorry, I wasn't listening. What? It's the funniest goddamn thing to just okay. have your antagonist completely ignore the speech he was given. <laughs> when when you mentioned that, I'd forgotten because I, were, I was struck by it. It was like a perfect white top teeth, right? With the fangs, just fucking beautifully spaced, right? Yes. Like a space. I, I, w- I got this giant space in my teeth and I just wish I had that fucking... Per- and then he has the gnarly receding gum, six pack a day smoker kind of brownish british man's teeth on the bottom right here where they're like six six inches long he's got these perfect top teeth and these fucking gnarly british fucking foresty kind of half in teeth on the bottom it's beautiful it looks absolutely ridiculous and it doesn't help when yet not only is he acting but he looks like a dipshit and when he's talking it's causing such Difficulty speaking, that he's continuing to emote, but he's got to talk about the prosthetics, and he manages it well. But it, I'm like, dude, can you just put a little pointers on and just kind of talk over, not the whole grill, homie? You you got to work into a grill. You can't just wear it. And just, I could only imagine watching Sir Christopher Lee. Former member of the SAS looking at his script and going, oh, so Dracula's a uh, business mogul. Okay. Fucking guys, I'm going to go ahead and say I'm going to do this one because I already said I would, but I'm fucking done with this because this is ridiculous. I signed this contract to fund the Wicker Man. I hope so. I will finish my contract and you can take the entire Dracula franchise and shove it up the eye of Sauron. But I am finished here. Fuck you and the horse you rode in on. Wait, so you mean to tell me I'm not introduced for 30 minutes of this film? I'm in a collective 15 minutes of it. Maybe I can barely talk through my mouth and the things that I have to say are ridiculous. And you put me in a wig. And I'm portrayed, yeah. And I'm portrayed as being this clumsy, fumbling, idiot vampire. We're finished here, guys. Mm -hmm. And you know what? Good call, Christopher Lee. This was the perfect place to end it. Because it's not so bad that I wouldn't ever watch it again. If Mm -hmm. it was on, I might watch it again. But it's absolutely ridiculous. Well, one of the things about Peter Cushing is... I don't know if he just like drop kicked the director in the nuts and said, Hey, I'm changing these lines so that I can speak them like a human fucking being. Cause he has the only good lines of the entire film. Or he is so good that he could take whatever dreck he is given and bring life into it. Because the one scene that I wanted to highlight that I think was genuinely excellent and not just because of Peter Cushing, but because of the other actor in the scene, is when he visits his scientist friend who is synthesizing the bubonic plague. Yes. That interplay between them, because the, uh, it's, I believe, Professor Kinney was his name, a biologist for whatever that Van Helsing knows. This is his friend. He goes and visits him, and immediately the guy drops a beaker Mm-hmm. And he knows something is amiss, and he's trying to talk to his friend who's hypnotized and effectively a thrall of Dracula. And barely, acts like he barely knows Van Helsing, and I'm like, ooh. Again, it, and it's almost kind of, it almost reminded me of the bishop mm-hmm. from Baskervilles, where he's just kind of babbling incoherently while Cushing is trying to, you know, ease his friend into giving up a little bit of information while also trying to just figure out what the fuck is wrong with you. Well, I was, and the whole time I was watching that scene because that guy was fucking chewing scenery, right? <laughs> he was good in there. But for a minute, I thought he was the same actor that played um, Peter Pettigrew in uh, Harry Potter, the Wormtail guy, the guy that turns into a rat. Mm, not a clue. 
And then for a couple seconds, I thought he was the uh, other inspector in the uh, Pink Panther movies, the one with the twitchy eye. Oh, it's been a very long time. No, I know, but and I'm because I'm going through like seventies actors in my head, and and I'm like, oh, no, that guy's French, that guy's British, that guy's kind of British. No, no, and I'm like, oh no, I remembered the movie. I remembered where I saw him, and you know the real old guy. Yes. Um. Yeah, one of the four horsemen yeah, yeah. or whatever. That was like. I used to listen to like the BBC radio things for like um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. He was one of the voices in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And like I'm recognizing all these things from like the early 80s television plays from BBC. And I'm like, oh, fuck. As a whole aside for no reason. Yeah. Well, thank you. Uh, I guess (laughs) we should bring us. I don't have anything else to say about Count Dracula and his vampire brides. I think um, I think, again, were I to have picked a, uh, no, actually, I think about it now. It's a it's a good entry to it because you've seen the Baskervilles, which is a shining example of what horror can or Hammer can produce, and then you've seen a watered down version of stuff they've done before. So you, I'm excited to see what you'd think about the their early science fiction stuff and the earlier early to mid you know waning season of their horror stuff. Because I will say, and I believe it's Cushing's first uh, Hammer Dracula, The Horrors of Dracula, good movie. Again, mm-hmm. it's got that kind of Baskerville Hammer aesthetic where it's set pieces. and It's no it, Dracula AD. No, it sure isn't. <laughs> Ugh. Ugh. God, I watched that not too long ago. And like I made it like 45 minutes into it. Like, I'm, I'm go- just going to bed. This is hogwash. <laughs> Absolute dog shit. These thrill-seeking British teens. Get the fuck out of here. Mm-hmm. You're going to eat a whole bunch of genitals. But yeah, um, w- would you recommend the, the Satanic Rites of Dracula or Count Dracula and his Vampire Bride? I would say if it comes on and there's nothing else going, yeah, go ahead and give it a shot. Am I going to say go ahead and watch this? No. It. I, I would say that I do think it's important because it is kind of the end of an era. It, I mean, it is yeah. literally the end of the Christopher Lee Draculas. It's the seventh and final. This was their last one. I, I think for posterity, again, Christopher Lee's fine in it for what he is being asked to do. He's good. Mm-hmm. Peter Cushing, excellent. Mm-hmm. I mean, like you said, the calm, staid man. And, what we were talking about last week, you were absolutely right. He is a much more staid actor than the kind of almost eccentric Holmes. Yeah. Very calm, very, you know, believable in mm-hmm. delivering his lines as a learned man. And he is excellent in this, but it's just a terrible, terrible movie. <laughs> yeah, it is. So go ahead and watch it. I find it entertaining. I think it's a good movie. Actually, um, having said <coughs> all of that, as far as suggestion, I, I would think I would suggest it to people who know giallos so I could have the argument. Is this a giallo? Is this like an English giallo? Because to me, it's it again, it hits all those things. I would suggest it for that. I would also, if you're into 70s mus- or movies at all and you've seen all the other ones that this touches on, it, it'll hit a fun spot for you. And, and I really had like it hit my nostalgia button real hard. So would would you say it's accurate to say that it's an English giallo where Count Dracula is a Bond villain. Yes, absolutely. Because the intro music is absolutely Bond music. It's priest Scaramanga. <laughs> yes. Oh, God. My, one of my favorite Christopher Lee moments where he is introduced to that film with just a tight pull in on his third nipple. Mm-hmm. You go, Jesus Christ. All right, let's do this man with a golden gun. I'm strapping in now. Cause this is dumb. Tell me about how that was weighted for a man with one missing finger and, and how that's going to make a huge amount of difference at that distance. Go fuck yourself. So yeah, go ahead, go ahead and watch the satanic. Yeah, go Dracula. ahead. Yeah. It's, it's good enough. It, it didn't suck. No. And it's a, it's a real time capsule. Yeah. And you know what? I didn't feel like the time I watched was wasted. No, it, it kept me perfectly entertained. If for nothing else than I'm like, why are all of these talented people doing this? And and I would actually have to add another caveat to my opinion of this movie initially <coughs> is we've been on a fucking run, buddy. Mm-hmm. We've seen 
amazing movie after amazing movie after amazing movie. So this is a good movie, but after the shit that I've just watched, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, that, yeah this, I see. This is, this see what fine. you're doing, movie. Yeah, you you keep rolling. Yeah, you you do you. But it absolutely did its its job and what I think we set out to do, and it did deepen my appreciation for Peter Cushing. Hell to the yeah yeah. So I think we got one more. Uh, Shockwaves, I believe, Ooh. is going to be our third and final Peter Cushing. Sweet. Because we went from 59 to 73. Shockwaves was 77. Oh, yeah. We're going to get... Because uh, <clears throat> I, I don't want to get into, you know, like, end of his life, like, still kind of sick and showing up and doing stuff, Peter Cushing. I want to really, like, get into his work work. Well, I will tell you, um, some of his most amazing work is on BBC television. He would do teleplays. He did an entire run as Sherlock Holmes. Oh, yeah. And he's done some, like, smaller... I have tried to find it. Cannot find no, it No, because you can buy it. Which I, I might, to be perfectly honest. And uh, if you do, I'll go in halvesies, because... Because I've gotten real into Holmes since our last uh, foray into that. I've been using the Rathbone Holmes as uh-huh. a laundry folding material. Well, I will tell you what, if you can get to it... Um, I highly recommend the uh, Benedict Cumberbatch Holmes, the BBC one. I, 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 I don't like Benedict Cumberbatch. There's I something about his acting style uh-huh. that even in like movies that I knew were fine, like was mm-hmm. it the Imitation Game where he played Turing? Yeah. Like I just his style of acting, or maybe it's just his face. No, he's There's got something. a very punchable face. <laughs> okay, that might be it. But um, it's perfect for Holmes because. Holmes, if you knew him as a human being, you had to be around him. You just want to fucking pop him in the nose every once in a while. Well, and that's what I was saying. And I don't think I said it very eloquently, but during the Hounds of the Baskervilles, like he absolutely reminds me of like what Holmes should be because Holmes, in my mind, is a fucking weird dude. Yeah. <laughs> you're just like, man, oh, you're kind of a drag except for to a certain kind of person, but only for like 20 minutes at a time. Because you're just going to talk and chain smoke. I know that's what you're going to do. Well, the reason I suggest the Cumberbatch homes after the Baskervilles and all that is you're now knowing the stories. Now you know the, you know, the, this one and the, that one. And now you're introduced to all the, like, the characters. Have you seen a Moriarty one yet? Uh, yeah, I just watched one where... Moriarty captured a scientist and he was going to sell his secrets to the Nazis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was fine. Yeah. But (laughs) again, again, it's the Nigel Bruce playing Watson as a dipshit. I don't really like it. Yeah. Um, the, the, the Cumberbatch one, and I don't want to beat this to death, honors the stories. Remember I was telling you last week, I appreciate something that honors the stories enough that you can go, oh, this is the woman in red. This is the, this, this is, you know, this, oh, that's the locket from I the... just started the woman in green. Okay. But you, you, you know what I'm saying? It's pretty good so far. <laughs> but they update it. So instead of telegrams, obviously they've got the cell phones, they've got, you know, and you see the thought process and, and it's been done to death now. But when I saw it the first time on the, on the uh, Sherlock Holmes episode, you see this thought process is putting things together with the screens going together and the, the numbers going up and whatnot. And, you know, and you're kind of, if you pay attention, you're like, oh, I get what they're doing. And, and but there's, he's still doing the talking and, and it honors the, um, it honors the, um, what's a, the dialogue in the book. So, you know, if you're getting into homes, you get past the Cumberbatch. I think you'll enjoy it. So, hey, James, where can people find us? I don't know. After that long fucking. Come in. Man, I, I, I like how we've done this, and my entire world has kind of been Sherlock Holmes since doing whatever. Mm-hmm. So, so it just naturally in, into a just absolutely useless conversation about Holmes. <laughs> there's never a completely useless conversation about Holmes. And, and there, there's got to be, I mean, we'd be on the cutting edge. There's no other Sherlock Holmes podcast, certainly. Oh, God, no. Certainly I not. don't think there's even one. It's like trying to find a Stephen King podcast where whatever would happen. Yeah, or somebody talking about the news. Yeah, fuck, or movies. Yeah, Jeez. it's it's ridiculous. <sighs> Absolutely. Anyway, where could people find us? Fuck. James, we're fucking it up. I snorted. 
You did snore. I snored. Okay, well, you can find us. You can email us at horrorvomitpodcast at gmail.com. Not that easy, is it, huh? You can find us on the Facebook. We got an Instagram page. Come drop us a line if you want to talk about homes or yellow jackets and yell at us about, yell at me about my dog shit opinions on things. Or but yellow jackets. Girls. Season two was fucking terrible. And I will stand behind that until the day I die. Give us five stars or five words and get us on the algorithm. Don't you fucking get me back on track, you son of a bitch. I'm yelling about a thing that I started out yelling and boring everyone about, and I'm going to end it that way, too. Push because it was the fucking, fucking terrible. Why would they goddamn kill Juliette Lewis? She was the only good part of that fucking show. That's not true. Christina Ricci was also very good. Oh, I missed it. Button.